following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. When you're up against the struggle that shatters all your dreams, and your hopes have been cruelly crushed by Satan's manifested schemes, and you feel the urge within you to submit to earthly fear, don't let the faith you're standing in seem to disappear. Pray. That Satan is a liar And he wants to make us think That we are paupers When he knows himself That we're children of the King So lift up the mighty shield of faith For the battle must be won We know that Jesus Christ is risen Lord, all of the world is beginning to turn its eyes once more to the birth 
Lord Jesus, to your birth. And then mixed in with your birth is all of the paganism, all of the wickedness. But Lord, I believe that in the midst of all of this, there is still the redeeming voice spoken from Calvary that calls men to come, that calls women and boys and girls to come. Lord, I thank you today. Thank you for your gift of mercy and love and grace that even though we set apart a pagan holiday and call it yours, in spite of that, you still turn men's hearts and soften them for the work of the gospel. And I pray that as this Christmas season opens before us, you will draw men and women into your light and into your kingdom. Lord, I've seen that you use even donkeys. I pray, Lord, for the salvation of our city this Christmas season. Lord, bring to pass, please, events, dates, men, women, boys and girls, bring about what will cause glory to be given to your name. And we will praise you, Jesus. We thank you. We pray in your name. Amen. In Genesis, the 27th chapter, we find Isaac is old. And he has decided that he's going to die. Now, he doesn't die for another 20 years. But he thinks he's dying. He's blind. And he sends his son Esau out to get wild game to fix him a tasty meal. He has a desire for the wild. I've met a lot of Christians who have a taste for the wild. But they never really go themselves because they know it's wrong and so they don't want to go, so they're caught. And then I know these wonderful pagan people who know the depths of the darkness that's out there. And they come to Jesus Christ and they're just sold out and they're bold. Jesus is Lord. I've always struggled with this issue because I found myself more at home with pagans many times than with Christians. Because it seems to me that many Christians just ride the brakes all the time instead of just going full out and saying, Jesus is Lord and let's go. They're wanting the wild game all the time. I hope that's not true in this house. It's time for us to just let the wild game deal go. And some of you in this room know the depth of the darkness of the wild side. And to walk into the light of Jesus and not go back to the siren call of darkness. I praise God today that he turned my course 
and would not let me go down the road I was pursuing and said, no, you will not go that way. And then he opened such wonder. I praise God for that. From the very beginning, there were two sons, Jacob and Esau. You notice I never say Esau and Jacob. It's Jacob and Esau because God said Jacob would have the birthright. The birthright was the spiritual authority to be the priest of the family and to rule over the family business. Everything in that day was family business. You had children to help supply workers for your family operation or you would not prosper. So this family, they were shepherds. They raised livestock. They were farmers and very wealthy farmers. Esau didn't like farming. He would rather be a hunter. He'd rather be out having adventures with his buddies. So when it came time to give the birthright, Isaac was clear that the birthright was to be given to Jacob. But Isaac loved the darkness. So Mama decides to be involved in You know the story. She takes the best clothes of Esau. She puts them on Jacob. By the way, Jacob and Esau are grown men. Esau is already married. He's married two Hittite women. They all live together in the same place. And Rebecca is always being vexed by these Hittite women who are pagans and will not follow the way of the Lord God of heaven. She covers Jacob's hands with goat skin. She sends him in with the meat that she knows her husband will want. We pick the story up in chapter 27, verse 23. He, that is Isaac, did not recognize him, that is Jacob, for his hands were hairy like those of his brothers Esau. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? I am, he replied. Then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Isaac was having a hard time because the voice was the voice of Jacob, but the hands were the hands of Esau. So Isaac, finishing his meal in verse 26, says, Come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the aroma of his clothes, he blessed him. In that day, when you put away good clothing, you put aromic plants in with the clothing. We would use mothballs. 
they used aromic plants. And that aroma penetrated the fabric of the cloth. Isaac caught the aroma of his clothes. And he blessed him and said, Ah, the aroma of my son is like the aroma of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of heaven's dew and of earth's richness an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and may those who bless you be blessed. As you listen to this, it's almost word for word, the blessing that God gave to Abraham when God called Abraham. Now, what's that have to do with you and me? Well, we operate under one of two blessings. We either operate under this blessing or we operate under the next blessing. Verse 38, Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. And Esau wept aloud. Now here's the blessing for Esau. Your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. So there are two blessings that are functionally operating in this world today. One is the blessing of Jacob, where there is an aroma about your life that is pleasing. You are fed the richest of food. You are given of earth's richness and the abundance of grain and new wine. That was how they made money in that day. Now, can I say this? In America, there is a hatred for rich people. You see it on every hand. There is a redistribution of wealth that our president wants to do. There is a scorn. And then there is a a blessing in our country for people who are poor, who don't have anything. That is not the blessing of God given to Jacob. Given to Jacob was a blessing of wealth. The work of God cannot go forward if nobody has any money. Jesus could not do his ministry if the women who had resources, large resources, if they had not followed and fed them, the scripture says, out of their money. 
It takes money for an itinerant preacher to travel the countryside. They're not working jobs. They left their businesses behind. They need resources to pay for food, for shelter, to minister to other people. And then they had Judas in the midst of this whole deal, and he was stealing their money, but they still had enough to do the work that Jesus needed to do. Some people get very concerned and say, what's going to happen to the tithe I turn in? Is that going to be stolen? Well, if it is, there's still going to be enough. Jesus will make sure of that. We don't serve a God who is selfish. We don't serve a God who is closed. We serve a God who heaps blessings on our lives. And God wants us to prosper. If you look at the New Testament church, suddenly overnight there were 15,000 people in the New Testament church. 15,000. None of them were from Jerusalem, or almost none of them were from Jerusalem. How did those people live for the next couple years? I'll tell you. Church history is, makes it very plain. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus were multimillionaires. They had tin mines in Europe. They were owned by the Roman government, but they were controlled and operated by Joseph of Arimathea particularly. Thank you. And by Nicodemus. The priesthood of that day was not a a spiritual priesthood. The priesthood was purchased from Rome. They paid money to control the priesthood. Then those people who were on the Sanhedrin, who were the governing body, all cooperated with the Roman authorities. So you come To this New Testament church, housing had to be provided. Food had to be purchased. Clothing had to be purchased. Where did that money come from? It came from those men and women who had resources, like Barnabas. His real name was not Barnabas, but he was called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was an encourager. And he sold his property and came and laid it at the feet of Peter. I doubt that he got a receipt for it so he could deduct it from his taxes. And with those resources, the New Testament church was built. And Ananias and Sapphira came and they said, Oh yes, we're going to give the entire property for the work of the church but they withheld a portion of it. And so they came in and they died because they cheated God with their money. If you look through the scriptures, money is a very common topic in all of the scriptures. It has to be, because the work of God costs money. Now, 
we operate under two blessings. The blessing of God spoken of in Genesis 27 is the giving of heaven's dew. It is the giving of earth's richness. It is an abundance of grain and new wine. It is a great pouring out. Now, I would much rather talk about this blessing in terms of the spiritual blessing that comes. But I usually always talk about the spiritual blessing. But today I'm trying to draw a very clear line to say, not only is there a spiritual blessing that comes, there is a financial blessing that comes. Both must be present or we're missing something. It is God who gives the ability to gain wealth. It is God who gives to his people resources and opportunities so that they can share in the work of the building of the kingdom of God. The money doesn't belong to us. It belongs to Jesus. But he flows it into our life, not intending that we should always live right on the edge, not intending that we should always be pinched and unable to help others. He wants us to be able to help others. If there are those in the church, widows, people who are broken financially, he wants there to be enough money in the church that the brother and sisterhood of the body of Christ can reach out and lift them and provide for them. Not welfare. Not EBT cards. Accountable help. Supporting help. Helping a person get back on their feet and be able to move forward and do the work of the gospel. This is all about Jesus funding the work of the kingdom of God. Now, in the midst of all of this, Jesus stands right in the center. And we come to Jesus and we live a holy life. We walk clean before him. But a part of that blessing is also financial blessing. I don't care what your background is. The Lord wants to open doors of opportunity for you so that you have the resources to do what he asks you to do in building the kingdom of God. May God give you of heaven's due and of earth's richness an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. Jesus does not intend that the Christian person should be beaten down by the world and have no ability to stand on their feet and proclaim that Jesus is Lord. Christians in America have been beaten down by the culture 
so that we're afraid to say anything. You stand in the grocery line. What do you talk about with the person who's behind you? I always talk to people in the grocery line. The first time I decided to witness in the grocery line, I was scared. Now I'm very bold. I'm looking for some way to open the conversation. Like going through Wegman's line, getting some Thanksgiving food. I turned to the person behind me and I saw all the food. I said, it looks like you're going to have an awesome meal. Are you cooking? No, my wife's cooking. Well, are you thankful for G- to Jesus for what he's given you? Yes. So the two of us stood there and had a conversation about Jesus. And here's the clerk waiting to check us out. And she jumps into it and pretty soon the whole bunch of us are talking about how wonderful Jesus is, what a gift he's given us, and how we're going to celebrate with our family. So I say to them, now are you going to talk like this on Thanksgiving dinner when your pagan family comes? Well, I I don't know. I don't know about that. Are you going to sit all afternoon and watch the the game? Are you going to talk about Jesus at Thanksgiving? Well, hey, I'm going to be bold wherever I go. I'm going to talk about Jesus. They don't know I'm a pastor. I'm not doing it because I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor because I have Jesus in my heart. I'm a pastor because I serve the Lord God of heaven. Now, some of you, you're business people. Some of you are educators. Some of you are semi-retired. Nobody here is retired. You can only semi-retire. You've still got the work of the gospel to do. But there's a place now for great boldness in America. And we have to be right up front in saying who we are in Jesus wherever we go. I'm not willing for the gay and homosexual to come out of the closet. I'm not willing to then go climb in their closet and be hidden away. I'm not going to do it. If the gay and homosexual can come out and say, hey, I'm gay, everybody. I'm going to come out and say, hey, everybody, I'm Christian. And I don't buy darkness. And I don't like what's happening in this nation. And it's time for us to stand up and say, enough is enough. Let's stop this. Not being judgmental. Not being poor mouths. But standing up and saying, I'm a Christian. And I live it. And asking questions. I don't know about you, but this gets my blood pumping. This gets me excited. I like who Jesus is. Do you like who he is? Do you like the person of Jesus? You know, there's just some people we like and there's some people we don't like. Is that true? 
There are not very many people I've ever met that I don't like, but I have met some people I just don't like. Jesus is not one of them. I love who Jesus is as a person, as a human person. Never mind that he's God. That's just all bonus for me. I like who Jesus himself is. I am proud to say he is my friend. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. I like that. Do you? I want to talk about him. He's my favorite topic of conversation. We talk about and we follow our love. What you talk about is what you love. So what have you been talking about this week? Some of you get together after work and talk about how bad it was. Because right now you're just loving grumbling. And grumbling can be comforting to our hearts for a short time. I'll give you five minutes to grumble. But then let's get on. And let's talk about what our heart loves. See, there is a place of absolute glory in Jesus Christ. I want to talk about that. There is a place of victory in Jesus that is glorious. Now, let's look for a moment at the second blessing. Your dwelling will be away from earth's richness and away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword. In other words, everything that you're going to have you're going to have to go out and get it by the sword. You're going to have to fight for what you have. One of the most glorious things in my life is that I do not have to fight for money. And not one person in this room has to fight for money. Not if you are under the first blessing. And I have to be honest with you, it's taken me a while to begin to understand that there are only two blessings. One is the blessing of absolute trust and confidence in Jesus Christ. The other blessing is you will live by your sword. You will fight for everything you have. It's going to be a bitter battle. There's only two blessings. One blessing is victory over sin. It is victory over darkness. It is deliverance from the wicked culture of the world. It is separation. It is surrendering and submitting to Jesus Christ. Now, this is truth in advertising. When you begin to follow Jesus Christ, the most painful part of the Christian journey, we elongate for months or years. We elongate the time where we're partway given to Jesus and partway holding out on Jesus. 
And the longer we sit in that middle place, we don't have the first blessing, but the second blessing is functioning over our lives. There's nothing more miserable in the world than a half-Christian. If you're a half-Christian, you have a guilty conscience, you're always down on yourself, you don't have victory, you don't have what you want, and so you eke out a little bit of joy from wherever you can suck it, whether it be the television or the whatever, but it's a miserable way to live. And I would say to you, look, either go and serve Jesus or go and serve the devil. Because you're going to be utterly miserable if you just stay in the middle. Jesus said that. He said, I wish you were either hot or cold. But because you're lukewarm, I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. I don't want to be vomited out. I don't want to be lukewarm. I want to be on fire for Jesus. I want to be filled with the Spirit of God. I want to walk and prosper in the blessing of God, spiritually, physically, financially. When we stay in that middle place, everything is hard, everything is bitter, and we live by the sword. Now, truth in advertising, there's another hard place in the Christian walk. And that is, after we are utterly given to Jesus, the devil will come and attack us ferociously. He will try to steal everything we have. He will steal our money. He will steal our health. He will steal everything we have. He will steal love relationships. He will try to destroy us. And that's why the Apostle Paul said, put on the full armor of God. Take your stand. Don't let Satan steal from you anymore. I wish I had paper to give all of you, and I would ask you to make a list right now of everything the devil has stolen from you. I'll bet it would not fit on one sheet of paper. I know I would have to have multiple sheets of paper to write down everything that I have let Satan steal from me because I never got it in my mind that I had to take a stand And stop allowing devil to steal from me. He steals our righteousness. He steals our dreams. He steals everything he can get his hands on. I'm not willing to let Satan steal from me anymore. Now, is the work hard serving Jesus? Yes, sometimes it's very long hours and it's hard work. But the hard work is also filled with joy knowing I am free in Jesus. I'm doing this not because I have to, but because I've been called to it by Jesus. And so I walk in freedom as I fulfill what God has called me to do. Do I get tired? Yes, I get exhausted. I get beat up. But I don't mind because I know where I'm going. I know who wins. I've read the last chapter. You know, when I read a book, I always turn and I read the last chapter. And if I don't like the way it ends, I won't read the book. If I like the way it ends, then I'll read the book. Well, I read the last chapter. 
revelation. I know he wins. I know I'm on the side of a winner. So whatever I have to go through in the process, I'm going to stand for the blessing of God in my life, for prosperity in the spirit and prosperity in resources. I'm going to take a stand and not allow Satan to steal from me. And I'm not going to live under this second blessing where you live by the sword, you serve your brother. I want to serve Jesus. I don't want to serve the world, the flesh, the devil. I'm not going to serve the devil. I'm going to walk. Look, the, the verse 41, Esau held a grudge. If you live under the second blessing, you're going to hold a grudge in your heart. You're going to be an angry person. And you're going to try to control everything. Now, let me try to talk about this just for a minute. One of the signs that we're living by the sword is that we're trying to be totally in control. We're trying to make the world look like we want it to look like. We're trying to make people act and look like we're trying to make them act. We get angry with them when they don't do what we expect them to do. We get angry with ourselves when we're not able to perform the way we think we should be able to perform. We live by the sword. When we live by the Spirit, we give that control to Jesus. And we submit and we surrender. And we say, Lord, I'm in your hands. Do you understand? Jesus did not come as a king. He did not come with power. He came, God came, to be birthed from a woman, to be wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. Can you imagine? The all-powerful and mighty God who created the entire universe reduces himself to being a baby that has to be suckled. No power. How much power does your baby have? No, you have the power. You tell the baby what to do and what not to do. You order their lives. Jesus could have come full grown. He could have appeared at the temple as a glorious man. No, where he came from, he would just suddenly have appeared. Instead of that, he shows up, has to flee with his parents to Egypt, called out of Egypt, 
and they go and live in Nazareth, a city of no reputation. Astonishing what God did. So he came having no power, no authority, grew up amongst us like a sprout out of dry ground. See, what I'm trying to say is that most of us have learned to get along by using the sword. We've learned to be successful by using the sword. By positioning ourselves for success, by by cutting others down when they get in our way. We've learned to operate by the sword. Jesus didn't come that way. Came as a child, innocent, powerless. Even when Jesus was ministering as a grown man, very seldom did his power flash forth. It flashed forth in the temple when he cleaned it out, when he made the the whip of ropes and drove everyone out. Then there was raw power exercise. But most of the time, you would not see any raw power coming from Jesus. You'd see the power to heal. You'd see the power to convict. You'd see the power to confront with kindness and mercy. And then he died. Powerless. He said he could call down legions of angels and they would have destroyed all of Rome and all of the Roman government. One word from Jesus and those angels would have come down with mighty swords and devastated the world. I'm sure the angels were so totally upset. I'm sure all of heaven was weeping as Jesus was placed on the cross. They could not understand what God was doing. This was their God. Remember, God is not just our God. He is the God of heaven and earth. Died without power. After his resurrection, he did not go to the temple to confront those who had crucified him. He didn't go to get even with the people who crucified him. Our modern heroes, you would have seen him walk into the temple and mow down those who had crucified him. Am I right? Wouldn't that be the final end of the story? Boom, they're gone. Smoke. And everybody's bowed down in terror before this God who has arrived. He's getting his vengeance. It's not what Jesus did. That's not his heart. He doesn't want to destroy us. He wants to save us. Even the high priest he wanted to save. Even his crucifiers he wanted to save. So he kindly did not go public with them to embarrass them. 
If he'd showed up in the temple, they might have come after him with swords. And then they would have died. Jesus spared them that embarrassment. Two blessings. Which blessing do you live under? You cannot live under both. You'll either live under the blessing of the prosperity of God, serving him and submitting to him, boldly proclaiming him as Lord and Savior, or you're going to live under the second blessing where you will live by your sword. I've been astonished by some Christian business people. I've seen them in settings where an employee just totally blows it. And they have every justifiable reason to level them. And instead of leveling them, I've heard this Christian business person with kindness say, no, let's, let's consider what you're saying. Let's look at this again. It's not going to work that way. And I've seen him kindly work with those business employees who should be fired. I don't think, I don't think he fires people. I think he lets them fire themselves if that's what they choose. See, every man and every woman has to make the decision. Will I go to heaven or will I choose to go to hell? Because God is not going to send any person to hell. Everyone who goes to hell will go there because they send themselves there. They resist and deny the kindness of God. They determine that they will live by the sword. They are not going to submit. They are going to maintain their own life and they are going to hold a grudge against God. Today, you have a choice. You live under the blessing of the Lord God of heaven or you live under the blessing of the dark one, Lucifer. And let's be very clear, there's no other choice. You must decide which kingdom you are part of. And because God is so merciful, because he is so gracious and long-suffering, you can imagine that you have a little place of safety in between the two where you can just run your own life. That is a false illusion. There is no middle place of safety in which you can run your own life. That is simply a short-term, temporary mercy of God to allow you to make a decision regarding where you want to spend the rest of eternity. Now, I recognize in sharing this with you today, You're going to have to decide. Do you want the light or do you want the darkness?
Do you want the witchcraft and the devil? Or do you want Jesus and his shed blood and the glorious resurrection? Do you want the victory of Jesus? Are you willing to accept his prosperity in your life? Prosperity in finances, prosperity in in vision, prosperity in Holy Spirit power, prosperity in righteousness. What is it you want from him? What is it you want from the devil? I pray this week you will have a bold testimony that you serve Jesus Christ, that you're finished with the life of the sword. You're finished with the life of a grudge. That you're finished with being in that tiny little space in between the, the, uh, can we call it what it used to be called on television? It was called the twilight zone. I don't want to live in the twilight zone. I want to live in the brilliance of the Son of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, how many times I felt like I was in the twilight zone. And I felt that way, Jesus, because I had rebelled against you. And I had placed myself in the darkness. Lord, I pray today that you will burst forth with your glory and your light. I pray, Lord, today that you will open before us the wondrous blessing of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob as it finds its fulfillment now in the coming of Jesus as a baby. I pray, Lord, that we will find that place with Jesus, that you will grant to us victory. Lord, we're not willing to let Satan win anymore. We're not willing to let him steal from us anymore. Lord, we take a stand today. For you, Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you.
Control.